This is a download from the BBC. For more information and terms of use, please go to bbc.co.uk slash podcasts. This year is the 200th anniversary of some very famous figures. Rapunzel, Little Red Riding Hood, Snow White, Hansel and Gretel. Just a few of the characters we know thanks to the Brothers Grimm. I'm Susie Klein, and in this podcast, we talk to the best-selling author Philip Pullman, whose Grimm Tales for Young and Old is published in September 2012. Philip, I'm sitting here with the unpublished manuscript of your brand new collection of Grimm's Tales in my hand. Is this, to you, is it a, a curated collection? Is it a retelling? Is this a new translation? How did you go about thinking about it when you were writing this? I think that my main aim was to take some of the stories which I had uh, read and loved and enjoyed enormously and tell them as if I were telling them to an audience. That's to say not fake a sort of live oral telling, but to take the stories and put them into my voice. You know, if you're remembering an oral tale, the things that strike you best and the things you tell best if you're telling a story are the things that suit your particular talents. If you're a great comedian, you remember the funny ones and you'll do the funny bits. If you're a master of suspense, you'll do that sort of thing. I didn't know what I was, but I thought I could probably tell them quite clearly. My aim was to take 50 or so of what I thought were the best of the 200-plus grim tales, marinate them in my mind and tell them as well and clearly as I could. That was my aim. It was quite a simple one, really. These were originally tales for young and old, and in your conception of them, they're adult tales. How does that then feed into your future work? Is there anything about having done this project that somehow has refined what you want to do as a writer in future? My aim was always, as it has been in most of my books, to write for an audience that I think is a mixed one, one that contains both adults and children. I do that because I think that's the best sort of audience. The adults keep you on your toes, sort of intellectually, and the children keep you on your toes narratively. You can't have any faffing about with beautiful passages of style or wonderful descriptions if they want to know what's going to happen next. It's not that I was sort of specially looking out for gory bits and rubbing my horrible hands together. It's just that the stuff is there, you know. The mother is made to wear red-hot shoes and dance till she dies. You're going to read a tale for us now. What is it and why did you choose this one? Well, I'm going to read The Three Snake Leaves which is one of my favourites, because it isn't a fairy tale. There aren't any fairies or supernatural beings in it. There's only one moment of sort of magic. But I like it very much because of its swiftness, because of its vividness, and because it's an unusual story, and we don't hear it very often. The Three Snake Leaves Once there was a poor man who couldn't support his only son anymore. When he realised this, the son said, Father, it's no use my staying here. I'm just a burden to you. I'm going to leave home and see if I can earn a living. The father gave him his blessing and they parted sorrowfully. The king of a nearby country was a powerful ruler and at that time he was waging war. The young man enlisted in his army and soon found himself at the front where a great battle was being fought. Swords flashed, bullets flew like hail, the danger was hideous and his comrades were falling dead all around. When the general himself fell dead, the last of the troops were going to flee, but the young man took his place and yelled, We won't be defeated! God save the king and follow me! The men followed him as he led the charge, and they soon had the enemy on the run. When the king heard of the young man's part in the victory, he gave him honours and treasure and made him the first lord in the kingdom. Now the king had a daughter who was very beautiful, but she had one strange obsession— She had sworn an oath not to marry any man unless he promised to let himself be buried alive with her if she died first. 
After all, if he really loves me, she said, why would he want to go on living? And she said that she would do the same and be buried with him if he was the first to die. This grim condition had put off many young men who would otherwise have begged to marry her, but the soldier was so struck by her beauty that nothing would discourage him. So he asked the king for her hand. Do you know what you must promise? said the king. If she dies before me, I must go to the grave with her, said the soldier. But I love her so much that I am willing to risk that. The king consented, and the wedding was celebrated with great splendour. For a while they lived together happily, but one day the princess fell ill. Doctors came from all over the kingdom, but none of them could help her, and presently she died. And then the young soldier remembered the promise he'd had to make. There was no way of getting out of it, even if he'd wanted to break the promise, because the king was going to put sentries at the grave itself and all around the cemetery in case he tried to escape. When the day came for the princess to be buried, they carried her body to the royal vault, made sure the young man was in there, and the king personally locked the door. They had put some provisions in there. On a table there were some candles, four loaves of bread, and four bottles of wine. The soldier sat there beside the princess's body day after day, taking only a mouthful of bread and a sip of wine, making them last as long as possible. When he'd taken the last sip but one, and eaten the last mouthful but one, and when the last candle was down to its last inch, he knew that his time had nearly come. But as he sat there in despair, he saw a snake crawl out of a corner of the vault and move towards the body. Thinking it intended to eat her, the young man drew his sword. "'While I live, you shan't touch her,' he said, and struck three blows, cutting the snake into pieces. Shortly afterwards, a second snake came crawling out of the corner. It came to the body of the first snake and looked at it piece by piece and then crawled away again. Soon it came back, and this time it had three green leaves in its mouth. Carefully moving the first snake's body together again, it laid a leaf on each of the wounds, and in a moment the wounds closed up, the dead snake stirred into life, and it was whole again. The two snakes hurried away together. But the leaves were still lying where they'd left them, and the young man thought that if their power brought the snake back to life, they might do the same for a human being. So he picked up the leaves and laid them on the dead princess's face, one on her mouth and the other two on her eyes. And as soon as he did this, her blood began to stir. A healthy pink came into her cheeks, and she drew a breath and opened her eyes. "'God in heaven,' she said. "'Where am I?' "'You're with me, my dear wife,' said the soldier, and told her all that had happened. He gave her the very last mouthful of bread and the very last sip of wine, and then they banged on the door and shouted so loudly that the sentries heard them and went running to the king. The king came to the graveyard himself and personally unlocked the door of the vault. The princess tumbled into his arms, he shook the young man's hand, and everyone rejoiced at the miracle that had brought her back to life. As for the snake leaves, the soldier was a careful man, and he told no one about how the princess had been revived. But he had an honest and reliable servant, so he gave this servant the three snake leaves to look after. Take good care of them, he said, and make sure you take them wherever we go. You never know when we might need them again. Thanks for listening to this download from the BBC. If you enjoyed it, there are more Radio 3 podcasts you can download at bbc.co.uk slash radio3.